0: Welcome to the Crackpots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca.
1: And I'm Pastor Chad.
0: And we want to apologize once again to all of our readers um, for this weekend who had to read all of those fun names. Whew! Yes.
1: Um, yeah, this is not the Sunday where you try and gather, or not the weekend where you try and gather readers. Um, for
0: the coming month, for the
1: coming month or year, and yet yeah,
0: it kind of is because we're now going into September. But luckily, I think I think Trish already has our readers set. So yeah, but um,
1: we ain't getting any new ones. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, that's that's fun.
1: And and that admittedly, like when you have those instances, and you look at the text, you go, oh man, here's a whole line of words that I know I can't pronounce. Oof! Yeah, I, I cringe. It,
0: yeah, and, and the reality is, here, here's the thing: nobody knows how to pronounce most of these. So yep. whatever you you come up with, nine times out of ten is going to be just fine.
1: Yeah, and, and my my theory, and and I say this jokingly, but in all, but also in all seriousness, if you just say it with confidence, confidence. yep, it doesn't matter. They'll go, yep. oh, that's cool. It's, it's when you it's when you. Are unsure and you stumble through it. Oh, they don't know what they're saying. But if you just are like,
0: yeah, just say it like you you, you say it with authority. That's what I tell me say. Say it with authority. Yep. Just say it with authority, and um, they're not gonna know the difference. Nope. Um, Because odds are they have no clue how to pronounce it either.
1: Definitely true. Yeah.
0: And, um, but yeah, we had some some. Like a whole list of of women, we had Phoebe and we had Prissa slash Priscilla, depending on where you read her name in Scripture. And, and you we, know what?
1: That really just ticks me off in Scripture.
0: Yeah, the formal well, it's like having a nickname though. I
1: mean, I know, but it's it just it just I feel like it just confuses people.
0: I, I get it, but you know, you're you're somebody who who's always had just the name Chad. Yeah. And I have had multiple variations of my name throughout my life that people use. So True. Um, I, I get it, because if you see anything of mine from, like, high school era, um, it was going to be Becky instead of Rebecca. Um, if you see anything, any of my friends from that time will still... Refer to me that way. My brother calls me Becca, um, <laughs> so you know it's a it, it's it's a whole thing. It's it's I get it. I'm like okay, I you know get people it. It people have a formal name and they have their nickname and it gets used interchangeably.
1: I know it just confu- It just makes it confusing.
0: So yeah, so like one of the things is is where like Axe is the one that typically calls Prissa Priscilla. Um, I think that's the more informal as opposed to the Prissa. Um, yeah. And when you think about the fact that the reason Paul was probably using her formal name is because this is a letter that is kind of introducing her to people. Yeah. Um, and it, in essence, kind of giving her that much extra sort of authority. This is her, you know, her full kind of name. Um, and as you pointed out, putting it first Ahead of her husband, which yeah. was
1: unusual. Yeah, which is one of those things that you don't. That she, well, so back up one second. I, I wonder how many people, just inherently, when it's, is it is it pronounced Prisica?
0: I think it's just Prissa, but I don't know.
1: However, that how many people know immediately that's a woman? Right. Right. Because you, go, oh, I mean, honestly, Priscilla. Whatever, and Aquila, say, oh, Aquila is the female. Right. Not true. No. And, and especially because of the order it said, because just, I, don't, I didn't check this, but I don't know of anywhere else in Scripture that a couple's mentioned, well, that's not true. Hmm. Or is it? So Sarah and, <laughs> Sarah and Abraham...
0: Abraham and Sarah.
1: Abraham's always said first. Yeah. But interestingly when I say it, I say Sarah and Abraham.
0: Hmm. Look at you being all enlightened.
1: That wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but I, I mean I yeah, that's in, that's interesting. Um but yeah, I think I think that's that's sort of a subtle um a subtle nuance that could easily be missed. And I think it's it's a it's you know, Paul kinda you know, tipping his cap, so to speak, say, listen, like, this, this couple w- was, was driven by, by her. Yeah. She was a leader in the church. She was a preacher. She was prominent. Not that he wasn't, but hey, this isn't just, you know, she's along for the ride.
0: Right. Yeah. And, um, I, 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 there's also uh, another woman that you didn't, you didn't cover um, because, you know, we only have so much time in a sermon. Um, Junia is an interesting figure because she is referred to as being prominent among the apostles. And so that raises a lot of questions. Um, is it just that she's well-known by the apostles and revered by them? Or was she actually an apostle of some sort? Yeah. And so that, you know, that, that raises those kinds of questions as well. Um, of what, what role exactly did, did she have? Um, Phoebe is called a deacon. Yep. Um, and so, which of course um, comes from the word diaconia, which simply means servant. Um, So, I always find it very interesting that terms for leadership in the church are actually servant terms, and yet we seem to a lot of churches are like, no, no, you can't serve in that role. It's like, what, I can't be a servant, really? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, if you start you start breaking the logic down of the terms that, that are actually used in Scripture to describe leadership, they are, are terms that literally, like I said, deacon comes from diacomia, which is servant. Yep. So if you are a deacon in the church, you are a servant in the church, Um it 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 just kind of astounds me, I guess, that that these things um, and I get it, there there are some you named a couple of those. You used like the message or something, didn't you, for one of those?
1: I did. I used the message for the two for the tr- for Corinthians and Timothy.
0: Yeah, because you wanted them to sound even harsher than they actually are.
1: <laughs> no, because i I hate I hate reading Paul. In a different translation, the message I, I just—I get Well,
0: it. I, I mean, part of it was like it, 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 the problem I had with it was I was like, "Whoa, that like added something that I know is not there." Um, let me let me pull it up here. I think I still have your
1: your slide. So, so it's, it's interesting. Um,
0: the the our pioneer in sin. Yeah. Um, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a second. I, I I'd have to go back and look, but I'm." fairly certain that's not...
1: Uh, Eugene Peterson's pretty good with his translation overall.
0: Well, his translation isn't a translation so much as it is an interpretation.
1: Correct, but I mean, it's, it's pretty accurate to... Yes. ...to the original. Um, well, so uh, back to this diaconia thing uh, and, and the servant portion. I, part of the seminary process... Um, is going through in, in our denomination candidacy um, you know are you it, it's a group of people that determine whether or not you're fit to be a pastor um, and whatever um, so at my entrance interview which is an interview with the whole committee where you know you sit in a big room and they ask you questions and they're basically deciding whether or not You can go to seminary and yada, yada, yada. So as I'm, as I'm going through this process and they're asking me questions, I'm a firm believer that, that all church work is servant work, Uh, not, I I I think, I think it's a servant thing, um, whether it's soup kitchen or that's just, in my Mm -hmm. view, that's what ministry is, um. You know, it's not just coming to worship and 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 sit in the pews on Sundays. It's 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 being the church in the world and serving uh, serving others. So I'm articulating this through my candidacy entrance interview, and they keep pushing back. They just keep pushing back. What, so why do you want to be a pastor? So I you know rephrase in some fashion this. Belief in service um, and they ask again, but well, why do you want to be a pa- why do you want to be a pastor? and I, I just I keep going finally I stopped I said, um, either i don't understand what you're asking or i, 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 don't, I don't know the answer i don 't know what you're trying to ask me. I believe that church leadership is about service period period mm-hmm. And there was a pastor on the panel. God bless that woman. So my understanding is that you know at this point Chad doesn't have to articulate specifically what his call is, just that he feels called to ministry. I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I th- I think this is a lifeline. Um, what they were what they were I learned later what they were trying to pull from me was that I felt called. To word and sacrament versus word and service. So oh. word and sacrament meaning baptism and communion. Yeah. Our, which is which is so two-year degree is word and service, four year degree is word and sacrament, which is just like
0: our processes were so different. I just have to Well, my candidacy committee is
1: sort of ELCA renowned for being a bunch of A-holes. I mean, that's kind of their reputation. We said, oh, oh, you're from that city? Oof. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's that mean? Oh, now I get it. So what's, what's really, what was really kind of ironic, so you go through the process, and at the very end, um, you have a question, or like, a, like essays you have to write. And by the time I got to graduation, my essays were all based on, the, the, the topics of the essays were all based on a form of word and service. And I'm like, well, isn't this interesting? Like now, four years later, the right answer, the answer you want me to write is the answer I gave you at entrance, but now it's the right answer, and but it, before it was wrong. Like, yeah, well. it, like, it, like it's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, so this idea of, of deacon and... And we, we have, you know, we have that, and we still have those labels, right. you know, in the church, and I, I think it does a little bit of a disservice, um, because it's to say that well, pastors shouldn't be concerned with service, just the sacraments. And I don't, right. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that the sacraments aren't important. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to come off that way at all, but. I also don't think we can minimize the importance of, of the service end of it. Um, I, one of the things that I, that I, I don't want to say dislike because I don't. One of, the things I, one of the things I wish I could do more of was the service piece of it. Um, there's only so many hours in a day and so many hours in a week, but I mean, I, I enjoy that service that service portion of it, that service yeah. portion of ministry.
0: Well, and, and recognizing, you know, even the term pastor comes from the word meaning to shepherd, um, which, yes, okay, in, in, in the Bible um, has, I guess you might call it, royal significance because the kings are referred to as, of Israel, are referred to as the shepherds of Israel and, of course, Jesus being the good shepherd, blah, blah, blah. Um, but when you look at how shepherds were looked upon in general in society, they were not lifted up as usually the people you were going to listen to. Right. Um, you know, kind of when you, when you look at Luke's gospel, part, part of what Luke's gospel does is, Luke's gospel is really good at flipping um, and reversing things from the standpoint of he really focuses on bringing marginalized people into front and center um, and kind of then shoves the, the the people that normally would be at the center um, to the periphery. So, of course, when the angels appear, who do they appear to? They aren't appearing to um, other royalty or whatever to announce uh, the coming of a new king. They go to shepherds. Yep. Um, and recognizing that, <laughs> interestingly, you know enough that 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 a shepherd was not really your, uh, I guess, revered in society.
1: That's an understatement.
0: Yeah, a shepherd was not was not a revered position, and yet that is the term we utilize for our leadership in. At least in most Protestant churches, yep, is this this term that basically means you know, (laughs) which let's face it, shepherds typically were a little bit of ruffian and you know a little rough around the edges,
1: (laughs) smell a little funny, Maybe, (laughs) maybe weren't the most honest people in the world.
0: You know, it's kind of one of those 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 interesting things of ha- again how God takes something and transforms it um, for for His purposes and uses and and things like that, and you know utilizes that term to be a royal term as opposed to um, what it actually was and how it was viewed. Yeah. Um, mainly because you know. They're looking at what a shepherd actually does in terms of guiding, keeping safe, that kind of thing. That's what that was the role of the shepherd. It's just that the people who tended to be shepherds tended to n- not exactly be the the higher echelons of society.
1: Which which is really interesting because the perception that many have um of the church, or how the church is supposed to be, and maybe often from those in the church, that, well, we have to be perfect. Right. We have to have it all together, but we're literally.
0: Again, we have Paul to thank kind of for that.
1: Right. But we have this label of shepherds, and we know that they were rough around the edges. They didn't mm-hmm. have it all together. And again, I, I say this a lot, but I think it's important. You know, we have the disciples. That was a group that didn't have their stuff together. Like, they were a mess. They were a hot mess. Yeah. And that's who Jesus hand-selected. So this idea that you have to be perfect. Yeah. Eh.
0: Well, and it's so funny because in a lot of ways, I, I find Paul to be sort of this fun paradox of, and I think part of it is his, his background in um, his own leadership in terms of before he became a christian was um a pharisee among pharisees and whatever and things you know things had an order things had a you know whatever and even though he's out there kind of trying to to push back against that there are some things that are just i think ingrained in you yeah and so he was very very much about good order and, and the presenting of everything kind of perfectly and without blame and all of this kind of stuff. And while, okay. <laughs>
1: well, that, that, that good order, air, I'm air quoting, the good yes. order. So people will say all the time, well, why can't so-and-so preside over communion? Right. And the answer? Good order. Good order, which is... You, you Again, I want... I
0: get it. Having chaos is not always a good thing.
1: <laughs> no, having chaos is not always a good thing. However, for instance, I will give you a perfect example. Yes. There are few people, not in this congregation, in this world that are more faithful than Cheryl, our deacon. Yes. Cheryl cannot preside at Communion.
0: Right, it's ridiculous.
1: From a good order, from a good order, air quote standpoint, Cheryl cannot preside at communion. Right now, I got to be honest. And again, I don't. Communion is important. I don't. I don't want to minimize it. But presiding at communion, I find to be a really powerful experience. Yes. And a, and an, and an honor to do. Correct. But from a technical standpoint. What makes
0: us magically somehow the right arbiters of this? Right. I mean, and it's funny because it's actually the opposite of what Luther said.
1: We're reading the words, like we're reading the words. If why is it when I read the words, it's 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 different. Than, it beco- that becomes the body and blood of the body and blood of Christ. Come, be, you know, is all up in there. But if Cheryl does it, it's not. God's like, nope, not her. Oh, not Cheryl. That, I mean that like that doesn't make sense. No. Now, it doesn't. Again, Bishop Pedro, if you're listening to this, um Hutter, Pastor Carlson, our, our assistants. We're following good order here yes, at Emmanuel Lutheran that, Church, even though, frankly, I'm not sure it makes sense. We think that, well, now, now here's like the thing. like I said,
0: the the, the thing for me is that we're, we're, quote, Lutherans, so we tend to follow a lot of what Luther had to say. And, and Luther said the opposite. Luther was like, let whoever, to him, the preaching part was the part that needed to be, quote, protected.
1: Um, and, that, and you know what? The world is bearing that out, like, as we speak. Yeah. Like, if you want to talk about the harm that's done in the world from a, from a, Church standpoint, it ain't because the wrong person's doling out bread and wine and calling it Jesus.
0: Correct.
1: It's the words that are coming and influencing people in the pulpits. I mean, in the pews. From the pulpit. Yeah. So, so Luther was absolutely one hundred percent right.
0: Yeah, and and why we decided to switch that around and be like, yeah, we'll let anybody get up there, and yeah. I mean, we don't tend to, but you well, know. We,
1: we had I like the congregation served in Gainesville. There was a member of the congregation um, who was going to seminary in the NALC, the North American Lutheran Church, which is the, bo- the, the, the Lutheran church that broke off after 2009 when church the ELCA assembly, yeah. deemed it okay to ordain um, LGBTQ. LGBTQ pastors and same-sex blah blah blah, same-sex committed relationships, yada yada yada, um, and they split off. So he was a member of our congregation, which was really bizarre to me. Um, and his mother was on council. And there were other people that, that, were, that took issue with me not allowing him to preach. And I said, listen, like, I, I'm not going to open up the pulpit to someone who doesn't fundamentally believe what the, EL, what the ELCA says is appropriate. Like right. ELCA has has deemed it okay, I I'm I'm just, I'm not going to allow. I, I'm just not comfortable. Like there has to be a, for me, there has to be a level of comfort for who is preaching. If, and I, maybe maybe I'm more like Luther than I thought. Um, <laughs> look at look at me go. Look at me all Luther Luthery. Um, I, I, I will protect the pulpit way, way more than I will protect the altar. Because I think we, we know, and it's been, it, unfortunately... Where we, the
0: damage we, is done.
1: Right. We've seen it. There's a, there's a hell of a lot more damage done with spoken word than there is with bread and wine. Yeah. Now I, and I suppose you can, you can have a closed table where you, where you deny people access, and maybe that becomes a little bit of a... But that's not how we roll here um, so for me I, I I think I think that idea of protecting the pulpit and protecting the, the spoken word is critically important, yeah, because that's where the damage is done
0: yeah um, and you know and to be clear there, there there are lots of things um Luther said some good things, Luther also said some really bad things he did, um, but, he did perfect yeah, um, imperfect person, but you know, it, it just, I, like I said, I just find it ironic that, that we tend to do the opposite of what, what Luther said when, you know, Luther was like, you know, let, let anybody do the baptisms and, and, and the communion. It's that, that preaching that's, that's, that's kind of important. And we know women preached. Yeah. Women were out there speaking the gospel. Um. So I you know it it's again it's something I just um and and yes we have a couple of those texts that like I said you brought out the first Timothy and um first I 50. mean there's I, there's a couple of places there's there's the first Timothy text there's the um a uh, First Corinthians text, and I think the one you brought up was Colossians. No, it was
1: Corinthians. Oh, was it Corinthians? Yeah. Okay. Because for me, those are the two that I see the most. Yeah. That First Corinthians and First Timothy. Yeah. And and here and here's here's kind of my the point of the first part of my sermon. It's like you know, so we use we you know we kind of cherry pick these two these two pieces of scripture from Paul, right? It's like, Well, mm-hmm. first of all, we ain't Paulinians; we're Christians. Jesus didn't have an issue. But beyond that, like, so we have these, these, verse, these, these two verses for Paul that we use most often, say women shouldn't be preachers, but, or, or even in church leadership, not even pre- just in church leadership, period. But then you have Paul, like the same Paul, trusting women with, with the ministry. Right. Like, it it's it blows up in your face.
0: Yeah, and the question being, so how do we, how do we deal with that?
1: Did you hear my um, voice go up an octave there? Yes. How do. how do
0: we deal with that? And the way we deal with that, is, as you pointed out in your sermon, is we look at the larger scope of Scripture. Yeah. And we say, okay, so clearly there are places where women do preach, where women do teach. Heck, in the Old Testament, they were they were leading mili- the military. <laughs> they were prophets. They were judges. They were, you know, it was... they. Um, we wouldn't have the book of Deuteronomy if it, it wasn't for uh, the, uh, a woman saying, yes, this is a book of God um, that, that you should be following. I have to then look at what Paul is saying and say, okay, well, first of all, Paul contradicts himself within his own letters. Yeah. And right. if that's going on, Okay. What is the deal? What is the context? What is it and and what people love to do is they rip these out, and they use them as a bludgeon and they completely remove them, not only from the context of just the surrounding letter and like what's going on there, but just from the whole of scripture. Yep. But even within like say the, the letter First Timothy, I, I get it. But when you look at the whole letter and you have to start kind of going, okay, so what? What's going on in this church in Ephesus that would cause Paul to make these statements? And recognizing that what the lead-up is to this statement that Paul makes in 1 Timothy in particular is there's a whole lot of really wonky teachings going on um, that are influenced most likely by the Artemis cult. Um, not Artemis from Greek Artemis, but Artemis, the Ephesian Artemis, which is a different Artemis, but was a, a mother goddess, a fertility-type goddess kind of thing. And that was influencing heavily. And, one, and a couple of the things that were starting to infiltrate, and you see this kind of earlier in the letter when, when Paul's talking about it, is this, this issue of um, whether or not people should get married and have children. And because there was apparently a, a, an ascetic kind of movement that was saying it's, it's against God to get married. I, I know you would be kind of flabbergasted to find that in today's culture in Christianity, but back then <laughs> there was this push to not be married, that it was sinful to be married, that it was sinful to have children, all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's where Paul's kind of going with the whole childbearing thing. And saying no, 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 getting married is good, and having children because you know it's 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 through childbearing we got Jesus, <laughs> you know. So it, it this isn't a this is not a bad thing for for women to do, um, and recognizing some of the other uh, you know things that were kind of the the, the Artemis cult tended to place um, the woman over the man from the standpoint of. Um, they had their own sort of uh, um, mythology of creation and whatever. And that one has woman first and then like a twin brother kind of thing going on. And so he's, he's dealing with a lot of stuff that's contextual and that has to do with what is going on in the church in Ephesus that is not applied to the wider church as a whole. First Corinthians text is, I mean, he contradicts himself within his own letter when he's like, women, you know, shut up, be quiet. Don't, you know, go ask your husbands at home if you have questions, Um, you know, kind of thing. And part of that had to do with, first of all, That admonition is located in the section regarding speaking in
1: tongues.
0: (laughs) So there's that. Second, earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul is telling women how to dress when they get up and speak in front of the church. (laughs) So, like, when, when you pray and you prophesy, this is how you need to dress. And I'm like, well, what the heck, does it matter how they dress when they get up and speak in front of the church if they're not supposed to speak in front of the church? (laughs) I mean, logic. You know, it's one of those things where you just have to start looking at a broader context and what, you know, where these things are stated and in what, you know, what their purpose was at the time. Um, you know, I would love it if we could just remove those, and but we can't because they're part of part of what was what, what was said and was written.
1: Yeah, you have to work with you have to work with the text, and so you have to. You, it, it's it's a t- it's a matter of teaching, and, and we're we're trying here at least um, to teach people how to read and interpret scripture. Not right. telling them what to think. So you know, oh, we're told no. The reality is like you could. Depending on the service, I may or may not have said this. You can make any point you want in Scripture. You can use Scripture to defend just about anything. Oh, yeah. Somewhere. you,
0: you, You treat Scripture like a torture victim, you'll get it to say anything.
1: But if you look at the whole arc of Scripture and go, oh, okay. The whole arc of Scripture maybe doesn't support the idea that, you know, in this instance, women shouldn't be pastors. Or, church, or leaders in the church. Well, the whole arc of scripture does not support that. No. Well, here's the text that says it. Yes, and the whole arc of scripture does not support that. Sorry. I, I am
0: impressed the gymnastics people actually do go through, though, um, to downplay all the other places women have leadership roles. Yeah. It, it really is fascinating to me to watch the, just the amount of work they yep. go to to twist them, themselves into knots to try and say, well, well, it, the only reason Deborah was because the men weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Yeah, um, and and that was a one-off, um, you know. And again, they kind of use that with holos, like, well, well, clearly the men didn't know, you know, were, were in that instance had, and so it had to fall to a woman in that case. But that's again not the norm. It's not the you know, and it's like, okay, so whose norm? you know it, it's 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 a patriarchal society so of course these women don't have those opportunities yeah. they aren't being given um <clears throat> those kinds of roles um without working really hard for them <laughs> and it it's and unfortunately i actually i did have someone tell me one time um that oh yeah you know We were sitting at dinner or whatever, and they said, oh, I absolutely think women can be leaders when there are no men to do it.
1: Hmm.
0: And I was like, I'm sorry, what?
1: (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah. I don't don't know why that makes sense.
0: Because, and, and I know why this makes sense to them. Because usually in scripture, when women are the ones kind of rising to the top, it's because Men have failed to do what they were supposed to be doing, or, you know, it's like, so who's at the tomb doing the burial work for Jesus? Right. It's the women. Well, there were no men there, so, you know, once the men found out, they took over. And it's like, well, um...
1: (laughs) It's like the early uh, explanation of mansplaining. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I,
0: but yeah. But I mean, and if you go, you go through this. I mean, we've only highlighted, you know, three of the, the women. There were t- there are tons of women. Paul names in this passage. Yep. Um, there and and some mothers and there are sisters and um, it's. Let's see. at the passage again. So we've got Phoebe and, of course, Prisca or or Prisca or whatever. Um, Mary, lots of Marys. Junia, um, relatives who were in prison with Paul, interesting, and prominent among the apostles. Uh, Let's see... Trifania and Trifosa, um. <laughs> and Rufus's mother. <laughs> I love Rufus. I just, I, just, I can't. I, 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 think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure anytime I see Rufus. <laughs> yeah. Um. And interesting is like, and names and, and greet these people. I'm not even gonna try to 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 say them, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them, um, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, Olympus, um, as an AS, not US. Um, yeah, so I mean, lots of women get, get mentioned in there. Some of them are standalone, some of them are siblings, spouses, parents, in, in all the roles that we tend to be in. And it, like I said, it just, it, it can, it does flabbergast me that, and, and interestingly enough, you know, you were talking about your, your candidacy process. I have to admit wholeheartedly, I did not face any barriers when I, went through my um, candidacy process. There wasn't anybody who, one, questioned my call or said, well, you're a woman, you can't do this. Yeah. Or even made me make a defense for that. It it was very interesting. It was no one did that. And I did not go through even what you did where they were trying to pull something out of me. Apparently, whatever answers they were seeking, I gave them. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I, I literally, I could have sat in that room for another four weeks and they could ask me that same question and I, I, I would have answered the same. Yeah. And, and to the point that, you know, now eight plus four, 12 years later, t- approximately 12 years after candidacy, I'm still answering that question the same damn way. Well, and you want like, to know the I,
0: irony, the real irony? When I went to seminary, I wasn't sure word and sacrament was what I wanted to do. Even by the time I graduated and got ordained, I was still like, yeah, I don't know that this is actually the the, the, the role I, I want to play in the church. Yeah. Um it was it was the path that got me um paid my bills. <laughs> um the other paths weren't gonna pay my bills, <laughs> which you know kind of kind of was, was a reality there. Um but it's been interesting because I, I don't always feel called to that particular, like, presiding over communion and stuff like that. Not that it's not an honor and whatever. It's like I don't know that that for me has ever been, like, though the important part of, of what I do. Um, I'm much more of the teaching, you know, that's, that's really kind of my realm. Um, and at the same time, sometimes your calling is not, all about, quote, you, does that make sense? Yep. Um, where other people keep saying, no, this is, what, this is what you do, this is what you're good at, and keep doing this. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, God opens doors and he closes doors, and he has always opened doors that have led me to where I'm at. Let's put it that way. And so you 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 learn to I guess embrace that, but interestingly enough, when I was doing my approval um, interview with faculty at Luther Seminary, where this is the, whether they the, um, you you get you get to interview not just with your candidacy you. you um, meet with them separately, but then you meet with your advisor at the seminary, and then usually one other faculty member. And um, my my advisor was Matt Skinner. Uh, I was his TA. Um, you know, knew him really well. And then there was another woman who who came in who was on faculty that I hadn't had for any classes, hadn't had for anything, um, and. So we sat there, and we talked a little bit, and she looks at me, and she just goes, well, I want to make sure that you're aware of all the crocodiles out there. <laughs> and I, I kind of went, oh, I'm, a, I'm aware I said, I, I'm extremely aware. I said, I'm, I'm actually one of the few students here at Luther, I think, who has a very well thought out and researched reason for why I can be a pastor as a woman. I said, though I've never been um, forced to use it thus far. <laughs> um, I've had discussions with other you know people, and their response always is, well, why can't I be as a, a woman? You know, it's like, well, why can't I be? Because apparently they'd never been like, in those realms that had said you can't, right. um, which I found fascinating, I was like, "Wow, that world exists," um, and apparently it exists in, in, believe it or not, certain ELCA Lutheran circles, and which is a good thing from the standpoint of you know they aren't having to fight that battle constantly, um, as they do in a lot of other denominations. Um, but at the same time, I was like, if you're not prepared for it, it can be a real jarring experience. So I appreciated that she just wanted to like be like, okay, so I get how insulated sometimes you can be. And when you get out there, these are the things that you're going to face. And it was intriguing to me because Matt Skinner was always a very, you know, very much a, a proponent of, of women in ministry and things like that. And he sat there for a minute and he looked at both of us and he just shook his head and he said, I had no idea what you guys go through. He says, I had no idea until I got into this job some of the stuff you have to put up with and some of the stuff that gets thrown your way. He goes, it just, it it baffles me. And... I appreciated that he was acknowledging his lack of experience in that realm. And just to be able to say, you know, wow, you know, I, I've, I've gone through, you know, becoming a professor, et cetera, and just had no clue how bad it could be. And I am very grateful that I have not served in a congregation anywhere, where, at least within the membership, there has ever been a a huge question of my um, ability to serve due to my my gender.
1: I, I think, I think part of this you know this this road we're going down, I, I think that. In it, as a general rule, if we're willing to like listen, we can learn a lot. You know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a female pastor. I don't know what it's like to be a black pastor. I don't know what it's like to be a Latino pastor. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't know what it's like you know take the pastor part. I don't know what it is to be any of those things. But that's not an excuse to not to not be willing to listen. And, you know, we, we've we had lots of conversations about race. I have no idea what it's like to be black. Because, well, I'm not black. Right. Newsflash, Pastor Chad is not black. But that's not an excuse to not listen. It's not an excuse to not try and understand. You know, when when a segment of of the population is is hurting and 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 the overwhelm if if 3 if 9 out of 10 dentists prefer Trident maybe I should listen to those dentists dentists and say well why you know when you know the majority of black people are experiencing something uh, how can i faithfully say well that's not true well that's not how it is I, I mean, we have the ability to, you know, kind of take a step back and go, "Okay, this isn't my experience, but it's yours. How can I, how can I learn from it? How can I, how can I better understand it?"
0: Yeah. I, and and admittedly, um, and part of the problem too. I know when I was younger, I didn't really see sexism. Um, and part of it was my conditioning. Right. I was conditioned to not realize that that was what that was. Um, so, you know, I was like, oh, no, I don't, there, there's no sexism. I was like, uh. um, <laughs> and then I got a little older and started, you know, like, oh, and then I got in the church. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. So, so this is what that is. Um, you know, I, it, it was realizing that I spent my life um, being the team player from the standpoint of if I had an idea, I would, you know, I would say what my idea was, other people would think on it, and then we would have a meeting a few weeks later, and usually the guy in the room would then pose that idea as their idea, and everybody would be on board with it, and rather than me going, hey, wait a minute, because I was like, okay, that seems petty and dumb. Um, fine, but the, the point is that it's getting done, and that's what I care about. You know, I, I care about it just getting done. Doesn't, I don't care who gets credit for it. And I guess didn't realize until um, one of my, my female mentors in ministry pointed out to me um, that that is sexism. You know, it's that they just, without thinking co-opt your idea, present it as their own, because they'd already forgotten that it came from you. Right. And it was just like, oh, okay, interesting. So, you know, and it, it, so it, it sometimes takes even us a little while to, to, to recognize when those things are happening. Um, and that's, that's what it is. Um, and I think that's part of how I, I started really listening to the, the racism stuff, was I was like, oh, I'm, I'm beginning to realize the things that happened to me. And now when I hear these, you know, saying, and, and it's not my place to tell them that's not happening. Right. Say, so, no, that's not what's happening. That's not what's going on. And that's
1: hard if it's not our lived experience. Correct. When it's not your lived experience, you go, well, that's not, that's not. That's not how the world works because that's not how my world works. Correct. Right? I don't see it. I don't experience it. Oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe the world doesn't, newsflash, maybe the world doesn't revolve around me.
0: I tried to tell my dog that this morning. He wasn't buying it.
1: Well, it's true. <laughs>
0: George was not buying that the world did not revolve around him.
1: (laughs) Not surprising.
0: (laughs) My dog's a very selfish dog.
1: If you just feed him more, he'd be fine.
0: I know, but doctor's orders said he had to lose weight.
1: Uh (laughs) Don't fat shame your dog. (laughs)
0: Um, But anyway, yeah, it's... And it's hard, I think, to get people to um, understand that I get that, you know, if you, you or de- do or say something, that this was maybe not your intent. You, you weren't intending to be, quote, racist or sexist or whatever. Um, and recognizing that a lot of times you're conditioned just as much as we were conditioned yep. in, in how society functions. And that this is just the, the you know, condition not to see it. Because it isn't your lived experience. It isn't your lived reality. So, again, I, I just appreciate people who are even willing to just say, you know, I never knew. I didn't see it because it wasn't directed at me. And that's kind of one of the things I'm seeing now with a lot of not just race, but LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, okay, these things are not ever directed at me. So I'm not as aware of them. Right. But when you become an ally and you start wading into those waters, oh my gosh. They're murky. Oh, and they're not just murky, they're brutal. Yep. Because all of a sudden, all of the stuff that you never like were um, a target for, you start experiencing some of that because you're being an ally to them. And the, the, the fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you wanna look at it part is that when you're an ally, you get to at least step back a little bit and take a break and say, I'm not messing with this right now because you know my mental state, whatever. And the problem is when you are that, when, when you're black, when you're LGBTQ, you don't get to do that because it's your world, it's your constant reality. You don't ask for it, but it gets thrown at you. Um, yep. I, I, was, I, I was seeing, there was a, a student here in Florida who was talking about the names that they're getting called in school now because they're, they're LGBTQ, because that has become okay and and that's the environment now that they're facing yeah. um,
1: so it's so it's interesting uh, we we just we just passed election election day um, primary elections here in Florida and school board was one of the like really hotly contested issues um, and i you know having having kids in school like i I was thinking today like my god Anna's in 4th grade
0: that's just crazy by the way in,
1: in two years, she goes to middle school. I am not ready for that <laughs> um, and, and not and middle school is hard I, and, and i I know all of the all of the own you know teenage hormone things that we'll have to deal with internally at home. I, I get that um, well i I, I, mean, I don't get that, um, but I'm about to um, but the whole the hellhole that has become our middle schools—it's always been that way to a degree, but everything is just so trumped up right now. Um, it, it's just so toxic and unhealthy, and you know, I—I I, I just like I—and I'm not so worried about you know anime falling into the the bully trap on the bullying side, but you're always afraid your kid's going to be bullied. And I am I am not ready to deal with that. So I my, there, my
0: nephew's 14. He's yeah. small yeah. for his age, and he gets bullied. And unfortunately, the response he has to that is not a good one. I mean, of course it's not.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, at, at some point, and, and again, I, I don't. We talked a little bit last night. Yeah. But I, I don't, and I don't know if you know the details, but you know I don't, and, and that and that's okay. At, at some point, as a parent, um, you know Camden's now twenty three. Twenty. Jesus, I'm old. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> Take a deep breath. You thought you weren't ready for middle school, girls. You know, <laughs> Remember, I, you have a 23 year old son. <laughs> he
1: he got bullied a little bit in in elementary school to the point where a couple of kids kind of you know backed him into a corner. And I got a phone call from from the principal say, "Hey, you know, Camden, you know, punched a kid today." And I'm like, "What? Like, that's not my kid. Like, what?" Right. I, 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 there's more to the story. He came home, found out what happened, went the next day and met with the principal. I said, do you know the whole story? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, well, that's a problem. I, at, at some point, and I, if you've listened to this, you, I am not an advocate for violence um, in any way, shape, or form. But at some point, if it's a matter of your safety, you, gotta, you can't just be the punching bag. Right, and that's and that's really hard. Where's that line? And, and and I get it. Violence isn't the answer, but if there's a protection element involved, within a degree, sometimes you, you have to you have to get yourself to a safe space. Yeah. And I, it, I, what, what's what's happening right now in terms of how we how we engage people that are different than us is just hor- horrific. Um, so I, I said to I said to my wife, I said, Hey, I said, you know, first PTA meeting's coming up. Yeah, are we officially members? Yeah, why? Because I'm going to go. Why? I said, because I give a damn about what's happening in my kids' schools, and right. I see what's happening in this community, in schools, and I'm not okay with it. And I can sit and I can say I'm not okay with it and do nothing, or right. I can or, say, or I can say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna try and be part of the solution. You know, I said I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know how that fits into schedules, but you know, if if there's a w-. again, this for me, this goes back to that word and service part of ministry. The service right? part, like, yep. like uh, definitely. Like, the, there's no, a- and
0: even the word part of it.
1: C- correct. I mean, you know? there, there's an there's an issue going on in in our community. I can either complain about it or I can try and do something about it. And you know, I I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know what the answer is, um, but I know that doing nothing is not the answer. Um,
0: yeah, and and I think that's you know kind of. I think where a lot of people are at is the, well, what do I do? What do we do about?
1: It's so overwhelming. What difference does it make? Well, it's
0: overwhelming because it's coming from so many different places. Yep. And there's so many f- different fronts. And it's just like, uh, ha- how do you go after it all? How do you, how do you defend against it all? Yeah. Um, and well, so
1: the, I, I do a men's, a, men's, a couple of guys get together at Panera on Tuesday mornings, and we do a devotional, which... Really, it's more talking than devotionaling. Um well. but, but the, the devotion today was, the text was Elijah and Jezebel, and the, commenta- the devotion part that the guy wrote was essentially like the political discourse in this country, my paraphrasing of his longer commentary, the political discourse is trash, and we keep wanting to put our faith in politicians. <laughs> in the trash. And it's like, wh- why? Like, why, why is that where, and this guy was relaying a conversation he heard before worship when they were talking, the, the folks behind him were talking, and he's he like, confession, I'm eavesdropping. He um, said, you know, our only hope is in the midterms. And the guy's like, really? Like, that's, that's where we're putting our hope in an election, yeah. when we've proven that, what comes out of those is, is
0: no trash. good.
1: And I read I read another article on Sunday, I think it was either Saturday or Sunday, I don't remember which. Um, and, and this was this article was written by um another pastor, and it's talking about 50% of the country believe that we're headed towards a civil another civil war. And that number's horrifying. The other thing he brought up in the article, and I don't remember the percentage of this, was a number of people who identify as evangelicals who don't even like go to church. Like they identify as evangelical, but they're not.
0: They're not active. In, they're not really
1: Christian. They don't even identify as Christian. They just identify as evangelical, which again is beyond bizarre. And and his article was talking about you know how you know, how pastors can help you know kind of tame the tame the flames instead of. Fanning to fan them, fan the flames. Um, Unfortunately,
0: we have a lot. Of, we have a lot that are fanning them.
1: Yeah, and it's just you know, we we, we put our, we put. Oh, sorry, I got sidetracked there mentally. Um, the, one of the points he was making in this article was that you know, his fear is that the days of 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 electing a pr- a president that unites the country is is absolutely impossible. Because the only way that you can win is by vilifying the other side. Right. And because
0: that—that is the uh, the culture we have. That's that's, developed. The pol-
1: that's the political game right now. Yep. And the political game is survival. Uh, and I
0: don't know how you turn that around, but
1: I, I don't. And and that was that was his point. I mean, right. that was really his point. He's like, well, from the pulpit, you know, we need to make sure that we're talking about how we're more alike than we're than we're different. And and I I agree with that completely. You know. Overall, big picture, we're more alike than we are different. Ideologically, uh, I don't know if that's the case. But here. Well, we I
0: mean, you know, it's one of those things. You got pastors out there that are saying things like, um, you know, any any pastor that talks about uh, social issues or quote wokeism, as as they're they're calling it. Um, was not called by God. And I'm like, well. But, that, she,
1: but, but that's not true because half of those pastors, I know who you're talking about, I saw it. Yeah. Th- that, th- that, that vein is okay with their own political, ag- preaching their own political social Correct. agenda. Which, which is the problem, right? So our school board race. We want to keep politics out of school. No, you don't. You just want to make sure that your politics are the ones that are in schools.
0: Well, some of like those, that's what it
1: boils down to. Some of
0: those board members we just elected had to make loyalty oaths to to um, our governor. Right. So, I mean, don't. Right.
1: <laughs> I want to keep politics out of school. No, yeah. you don't. You, you want don't. you want to make sure that your politics, your flavor, is what's is what's there. And and I get it. That's that's the that's the political game. Um, but it's it's not a healthy game. Yeah. And again, if, if we're putting our faith in in politics of, of any flavor, we're screwed. I mean, there's I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Um, you know, because our political system is so is is so beyond trash right now that it needs to be it needs to be completely it needs to, I'm going to use a biblical term. I don't, it needs to be crucified and resurrected as something different. Yeah. Uh, it, that's just the way it is. And I'm not yeah. saying that, that we need to destroy the country or blow up the capital or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not an extremist. Um, but, you know, the yeah, reality let's, is... Let's
0: not go down that road, bl- right. road and that, please. And, <laughs> and I,
1: just, I just want to be clear. That's not what I'm advocating for. But I'm yeah. saying the, the system that we have...
0: Needs to be reformed.
1: Needs to it, be, yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. It,
0: needs, it, it, it needs an overhaul, big time. Um, question: Just is how do you, how do you do that? Anyway, yeah. all right. So we are we are at time um, a little over time actually, uh, <laughs> but um, that kind of wraps up our our women in ministry um, sort of segment.
1: Which was a really good a good text to end on. Yes, it you was. Kind of go hey you know what hey, look, we spent a whole summer talking about how this is, the idea is trash,
0: right? And and it was, um, yeah. I I thought that that kind of that culmination of of all of these women, you know, in this one text um, was was a was a good way to end our our series. And we will be um, getting ready in September here to to get the narrative started and a few things like that. And um, this coming weekend,
1: what? Maybe it'll be good. Maybe not. Who knows? Yeah.
0: Well, and, and well, there will be a few women that, that get mentioned in, in the narrative lectionary throughout the course of that four years. Um, so, you know, we'll still have those, those opportunities. Um, those are why I didn't focus on certain uh, women, because they actually do get mentioned, and we do talk about them. So uh, we, will, we will talk to you next week. Hope you have a lovely Labor Day weekend. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk to you next week.